Welcome everyone, it is 3pm and it's time for the Server Room Show. This is episode 33. 33 or 32? Now I confuse myself, give me one second. It is episode... Oh, come on, I had it, everything prepared. It is episode 32, yes. It is part 3 of... Uh, history of BSD. So let's continue with that. Billjoy decided to do a test release called 4.1c just as he was leaving Berkeley to go to Sun. It contained the FFS FAST file system, the networking code, the new signal work that had been done written by Sam Leffler. The release came out in uh, April 1983. The initial copy went to Sun Microsystems, uh, later some copies went to uh, other users. There was talk of release 4.1D, but eventually it never happened. It's supposed to be the uh, virtual memory release with MMAP uh, included. Billjoy was committed uh, doing this release before he fully transi transitioned to Sun, but he was gone before it could happen and also Bob Fabry was gone, the professor who was running the project. If you remember from the talks when uh, he was he was one of the one of the first ones uh, who were interested uh, in it and uh, made sure that it came to came to Berkeley. This is the end of the Billjoy era of Berkeley software distribution, as we know it, and uh, from here on forward, it's a uh, it's a new it's a new era in Berkeley software distribution an era without uh, Bill Joy and an era when uh, the other um, members of the of the team uh, took on uh, bigger or more significant roles or got more involved in uh, in the Berkeley software distribution than before there was significant pressure to release a system it had already been a couple of years since 4.1 BSD had came out Mike Carrells joined the group uh, project around uh, June 1983 from Molecular Biology. Sam Leffler and Mike Carrells, with some help from the rest of the team, put together the 4.2 BSD release, released in August 1983. AT&T System 5 was coming out in about the same time frame. About a thousand copies of 4.2 BSD release were distributed one copy per site. A site represented all the machines at a major university or all the machines in a large corporations. In other words, it represented a huge number of machines. For the 2BSD represented a very important release, a high point of Berkeley uh, distributions in terms of uh, the commercial world. At that moment, uh, the options you had, uh, you could have System 5 with uh, user Unix uh, UUCP um, or you could get 4.2BSD with uh, the real TCP IP you could get system 5 with around uh, 30 kilobytes per second file system bandwidth or you could get 4.2BSD with 400 uh, kilobytes uh, per second uh, file system bandwidth so as you see uh, 4.2BSD was better than uh, AT&T's system 5 offering both in terms of networking and also the advantage it took of uh, the file system in terms of the bandwidth. There was such a high demand of 4.2 BSD 
from the Berkeley team that they couldn't make uh, really steps fast enough to meet uh, this demand. It is also true that AT&T was not in a hurry to verify licenses, which slowed the whole process down uh, quite well. The first seven 42 BSD tapes had to go to seven designated DARPA recipients. One of them was BBN, uh, both Beranek and uh, Newman. And now uh, I'm gonna jump the uh, what follows, which was the TCPP wars. And uh, we will continue from when it finished. As, as again, uh, you can find uh, the TCPP wars in Kirk McCusick's uh, History of BSD uh, DVD release. Berkeley issued the 42 BSD release in June 1986. Bill Joy had left by then fully. The team at Berkeley started to restuff the project. Kirk McCusick joined the project uh, in January 1985. Keith Bostick joined October 1986. Keith had a requirement for taking the job. He needed to be allowed to finish his port of release for the 2BSD to the PDP-11, which would become 2.11 distribution. Kirk and Mike agreed to this in his spare time. Kidbostick's job was divided into three parts. One third of the time he would answer the phone and provide technical support uh, to their users. If it was something interesting, he would work with them, uh, particularly if they had a bug fix in hand. One third of his time he dealt with uh, bug report emails and one third of his time he was to do software development. And he worked on the 2.11 projects as well for the PDP-11 in his spare time as, as said. He finished the 2.11 release in late 1988, about two years after he joined the team. The next release after 4.3 BSD was called 4.3 Tahoe. There was a debate at that moment if that release should have been called 4.4 BSD. 4.3 Tahoe uh, released in September 1988. Mike Ayers was, was of the opinion that 4.4 BSD should have a certain set of features which this release didn't have to be called 4.4 BSD, so it ended up being called 4.3 BSD Tahoe. The primary purpose of this release was to support a second architecture. Some um, partitioning of the code was done at the time Bill Joy was leaving mentioned um, previously when he became interested in separating uh, machine-dependent and independent code out in, uh, in BSD uh, prior to his uh, departure to, to Sun Microsystems. Uh, this was the first uh, full-fledged port to a new architecture, ported to a computer called uh, Computer Consoles INC, CCI, 6-32 machine which had a similar architecture to a VAX but five times faster with the size of a large uh, side machine. Meanwhile System 5 of AT&T and commercial OS vendors continued in putting out ever more complex systems including networking, virtual memory and so on but the effect of this was that the price of these operating systems and the systems shipped with these operating systems kept uh, increasing Kirk McCusick notes that uh, only real commercial Unix was still System 5 at, uh, at that time or at this, this time mentioned. Many users wanted to get the BSD code from Berkeley, but they couldn't afford the $250,000 source license from AT&T, so they could pull out uh, or would be allowed to pull out 
the TCPP stack, for example, and use it in some of their embedded uh, applications. This raised uh, the question, since the TCP IP stack code was developed in Berkeley, could not it be released separately? DARPA itself placed no restriction on code releases other than requiring that the code be distributed to other DARPA contractors. All DARPA contractors had Unix licenses, so this was uh, it was not an issue. The socket interface and the TCP IP code was done entirely outside of AT&T. Therefore, it contained no AT&T proprietary code, so people who wish to incorporate it into products should not have to buy an AT&T license to use it. Uh, the ab above led to the release of Networking Release 1, or Net1 or Net-1, released in June 1989, which included the following code extracted from uh, BSD release. Network device drivers, TCP IP stack, sockets, uh, FTP, Telnet, uh, a bunch of air commands like RCP, Airlogin, RSS, and so on, which were uh, kind of quick hacks uh, created by Bill Joy to test the networking code and originally meant to be uh, temporary until the real comments like FTP, Telnet, SSH and so on could be uh, written. Uh, interestingly enough, the air comments persisted it for two decades. They used uh, trusted ports only, which means ports uh, equal or lower to, lower to 1000 and uh, that could only be opened by processes running root. A 9-track tape of this code, uh, of Net1, cost $1,000, however it was uh, available over Anonymous UUCP for free as well, uh, but still uh, many people bought the tape because they wanted uh, the piece of paper saying that uh, this was freely redistributable uh, from the university. The, they wanted a piece of paper saying that. The Berkeley team got back on their main project continuing to put in all the features that were supposed to be in the final for that 4BSD release. They decided to do another interim release. A fair amount of time has passed since the last release. For that 3 Reno was the name planned for the next release, partly named because Reno was a gambling capital and it was sort of a gamble to run, uh, to run this distribution as not much release engineering had been done on it. It contained a number of major new systems, a new virtual memory system, Pre previous one has been developed by Bill Joy and Ozalp Baboglu back in 1979, if you, if you recall, and it was uh, heavily uh, customized, so to say, uh, to, to a VAX machine, so um, it was not uh, at, as universal or as uh, portable, or how to say. Kirk McCusick was put in charge of the new virtual memory system. Uh, the work started in 1988 and first became operational in late 1990. He had two candidates for the new VM system that, they lo that uh, looked very good. Sun had done a VM system that was written straight to the architecture manual interface. Uh, you remember the 4 that 2 bsd architecture manual written by Bill Joy in response to the DARPA contract previously. And uh, CMU had done uh, the MAC project at Carnegie Mellon University. Part of a microkernel project uh, could be used without taking the microkernel part. DARPA favored this option, the 
Mac project uh, uh, approach. For the Berkeley team to use the Sun uh, virtual memory system, Sun had to release it. Uh, they had a discussion about this around 1988, where even though every major player of Sun, including Bill Joy and Scott McNeely, who uh, was the co-founder and CEO of Sun Microsystems, also including technical people and their managers, agreed that it was the it was a good idea. It was a good idea to to release this the the VM system. Uh, interestingly enough, the board of directors and lawyers advised against it. Uh, the reasoning behind was that uh, uh, could have been uh, taken legal action against Sun by its uh, own stockholders if they were to giving away company property uh, for free as a result of uh, releasing uh, virtual memory uh, system. As a result of the Sun decision, the Berkeley team went with the Mac VM system. Mike Hibbler at the University of Utah did the work of integrating the Mac VM system into BSD, then Kirk McCusick made minor changes. At the same time, the Berkeley team wanted to put uh, NFS into BSD, the network file system originally developed again by Sun Microsystems. NFS was taking over due to Sun's uh, skillful marketing. Sun, has, Sun had placed the specifications into the public domain. Rick McLam at the University of Gulf did the work in Ontario, Canada. During the long winter, uh, Rick had written NFS using the uh, public domain placed uh, specifications by Sun. The 4.3 Reno release started shipping in November 1990 and it included the following. The new VM system, Kirk McCusick says this came not in the 4.3 release intermediately uh, but very soon after it uh, came in as an, as an updated 4.3 Reno release. So there was a slight delay, not immediately, immediately when it came out, uh, included the, the VM system, but uh, very shortly after that, as a, as a form of an updated 4.3 Reno release, so to say. It included uh, NFS and uh, some new VNode stuff, which were updates to the VNode interface to support the addition of MMAP. This was written by Kirk McCusick again. Meanwhile, the release of Net1 led to a desire to release more of the BSD software freely. Calls were coming in to Keith Bostick uh, requesting this, who brought it up every week in the Berkeley team's uh, weekly meeting. Kirk and Mike pointed out impediments to this release, or to the release, uh, that uh, it is not just a kernel issue. There are many uh, utilities, there is the C library, and all of which are riddled with uh, Unix 32V code. And that eventually it would be a mammoth undertaking to sort all of this out and uh, to see what's uh, code from AT&T and what's uh, the Berkeley uh, original code. Kirk and Mike told Keith that he could work on this in his spare time if he wanted to. They figured that uh, this would be the last they would ever hear, hear of this issue from, from, uh, from, from Keith Bostick. But he was more uh, uh, relentless than, than they originally thought. At the next Usenix conference, Keith uh, gives a presentation 
where he puts up a list of utilities and he says, I need people to write these utilities, uh, contribute them to Berkeley and get uh, your name recognized for your accomplishments and blah, 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 blah. Uh, and interestingly enough, people started to rewrite uh, certain simpler to to relatively complex uh, utilities, cat, OD, head, tail. Then someone rewrote TRAF, uh, which provided evidence that BSD contributors were serious. Uh, Kit was busy integrating the contributed utilities. He was also busy, also busy rewriting parts of the C, C library. Uh, one day, Kit ambled into one of the Berkeley team meetings and he had the C library rewrite mostly done. He had about half of the utilities done. Therefore, he asked Kirk and Mike that how the kernel thing was coming. Kirk and Mike realized they couldn't just go to uh, ask the user community to please rewrite the kernel as well. So Kirk, Mike and Keith built an inverted database from the 32V source code, then they went through the BSD source code line by line, looking it up in the inverted database to see what matched. When the code inspection effort was over, they found that only about six files were contaminated with 32V code. Uh, note that uh, trivial similarities had already been rewritten as part of uh, this effort. They thought that they could uh, rewrite the six files. But then they thought it would be better to release the software uh, without the six files. Uh, the thing is that without these six files, the software would be broken. It wouldn't even compile. So hopefully, uh, including AT&T, uh, wouldn't even notice. The Berkeley team felt that uh, the need to talk to the higher-ups at the university. They felt they shouldn't do this release on their own. They talked to university lawyers about the license to streamline the process. They reused the Net, uh, Net, Net1 license with the name change to Net2. The Berkeley team talked to the head of the computer science department. They escalated it up to higher levels within the university to the office of the president of the University of California, who oversees all the uh, university campuses. Auditors were, uh, were brought in and the Berkeley team spent three days being audited. Finally, permission was granted from a very high level of the university and the NET2 software was finally released in uh, July 1991. The software was very well received. Many people bought it as before, uh, even though it could be downloaded for free via FTP. By early 1992, several groups had figured out how to rewrite these missing six files. The Berkeley software design INC company was shipping an alpha version of their product by January 1992. Bill Jolitz had rewritten the files. He had released a system called 386-BSD. About this time, uh, Mike Carrells decided to work at BSDI, Berkeley Software Design INC, uh, BSDI, later BSDI with a low, lowercase i on the end. Uh, as a note, Kirk Mekusik was an uh, angel investor in BSDI. He never actually worked there. BSDI had been shipping a product. They were also running um, advertisements and uh, they were not very good in uh, marketing because they were running an advertisement with a phone number 
apart from uh, other things uh, the advertisement was saying uh, the phone number was 1-800 it's Unix and uh, as you can imagine AT&T uh, noticed this and sent uh, a cease and desist letter to BSDI it was to stop shipping the product or get a license from uh, USL the Unix system laboratories uh, a mostly owned uh, majority controlled subsidiary of AT&T around 80% owned by AT&T uh, and BSDI uh, was just a four-person uh, startup USL, USL uh, eventually filed the lawsuit against BSDI which led to the lawsuit which I will uh, leave out now and uh, that part you can find in Kirk McCusick's uh, History of BSD DVD Jumping over the lawsuit for that for BSD releases the original intent was to release two versions of for that for BSD for that for BSD also referred to as for that for BSD encumbered which had everything and required an AT&T license and for that for BSD Lite that uh, had only freely redistributable code eventually for that for BSD encumbered uh, for that for BSD uh, got released in June June 1993 uh, eventually um, the Berkeley team being tired of waiting for the resolution of the lawsuit which has jumped uh, over for that for BSD Lite was released in June 1994 so uh, roughly one year after exactly one year after Kid Bostik and Kirk McCusick continued working at the university putting in bug fixes and enhancements as they were received for, for that for BSD and for that for BSD Lite as a result they released for that for BSD Lite 2 in June 1995 it was the last distribution uh, it was the last BSD distribution that came out of Berkeley and uh, that's the end of this uh, story of history of, uh, of BSD as an epilogue, uh, I would like to just read uh, just, a just a short uh, part from the article of Charles Babcock from Information Week published at the 8th of November 2006. The single greatest piece of software ever with the broadest impact on the world was BSD 4.3. Other Unixes were bigger commercial successes but as the cumulative accomplishment of the BSD systems 4.3 represented an unmatched peak of innovation BSD 4.3 represents the single biggest theoretical undergirder of the internet moreover the passion that surrounds Linux and open source code is a direct offshot of the ideas that created BSD a love for the power of computing and the belief, belief that it should be a freely available extension of man's intellectual powers a force that changes his place in the universe and if you ask under Gerder even though I checked in the dictionary I still don't know what does it mean in this context so if you know let me know uh, in the show notes I left uh, a tremendous amount of uh, links uh, to to bits and pieces uh, which I mentioned throughout this uh, history of BSD over the course of these uh, three uh, full episodes I left also uh, links uh, to some books uh, even some uh, video 
also to some uh, some software and uh, as i mentioned in the very beginning uh, in the in the four words i i give credit to dr marshall kirk mcusick who who gave permission to use his um, his notes to 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 give this so to say shorter version of uh, the history of bsd uh, the same uh, he has a, a for um, nearly four hour uh, dvd presentation uh, of his own so uh, one more time if you can uh, please look up the link in the show notes and uh, and feel free to 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 reach out to him and purchase a copy of his dvd it's really a great fun to watch and uh, what better to spend uh, 20 dollars on you can uh, even choose a digital download so you don't have to wait for the for the mail to come even though if uh, if i could uh, probably i would choose the the physical copy and uh, most probably i would be uh, cheeky enough to ask to to have it autographed so i think you guys who live in uh, the us and uh, and could get away with this you know waiting for uh, a mail or a, or a package to come i would i would definitely go for that option it's uh, it, it it could be really fun i i i wish i could have chosen that option but uh, i didn't want to risk from from europe i mean i don't know to get lost or or or, or, or something i i was thinking about uh, actually uh, the book uh, the first uh, bsd book he he authored uh, for that uh, i think it was the for that two for that too was it let me in the books i have it it was uh, where is the, where i have the books free bsd free bsd because i left links for for free bsd as well for that four or it was the four that three because i have the links uh, completely messed up but uh, yeah i could have uh, done uh, perhaps one of his books uh, to order uh, to someone in the us uh, if i know anyone and then have this book uh, then be sent over to him and then have it autographed and then sent back to me and uh, pay for all it in advance so like you see in my example uh, getting the DVD uh, originally uh, from him, maybe it's easier to ask uh, to ship something autographed to you directly. But it's just my idea. Maybe it doesn't even exist. So don't don't say I said that he he does anything like this because it's just my 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 imagination. So as you see, this concludes the history of BSD, uh, short version without uh, TCP/IP wars without uh, many uh, small bits and pieces and anecdotes from Kirk McCusick himself and uh, it was a really nice three part episode and uh, 
and I'm happy I was able to do it. And uh, I definitely will do uh, some more BSD related uh, content or, or episode. I have uh, uh, some ideas uh, in the works, uh, simple things. And, uh, and uh, if you are interested in something uh, uh, a bit more modern, uh, but uh, direct descendant and continuation of, uh, of the Berkeley, Soft Berkeley software distribution, then, uh, then definitely try uh, FreeBSD as the one and only original direct continuation of, uh, of the Berkeley uh, BSD. And of course you have OpenBSD and NetBSD, but uh, somehow FreeBSD is the one, uh, the one and the original. And the, the rest, uh, actually I was, uh, when I was listening to the, the DVD release of uh, Kirk's, at, uh, at some moment someone asked in the audience and uh, they mentioned that uh, all those other BSD releases like OpenBSD and NetBSD uh, started to sprung off from FreeBSD or the original uh, Berkeley code because, um, because there was a kind of misunderstanding of uh, to, to which direction they should, uh, they should go to. And, uh, and that's how now we have uh, FreeBSD, OpenBSD and NetBSD. And as someone just suggested on the, on the, on the chat, uh, maybe one day we do an episode on Illumos because uh, anything Sun-related uh, um, I'm interested in. So thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this three-part episode of History of BSD and see you next Saturday with a new episode as always.